1: Duke fans hello and welcome to episode 237 of the Duke basketball report podcast we are coming to you on Sunday, October 4th, and on this episode, Coach K drops us a little hint about the possibility of seeing some Duke basketball this preseason. We recap yet another loss for Duke football, and we are going to have what hopefully will be a interesting and lively discussion about our picks for the five worst Duke basketball losses that we have seen. Before we get into all of that, I'm Donald Wine, the host for this episode. I'm coming to you from a Washington, D.C. that has been pretty nuts this week without going further into it. Um, I have my friends with me today. First, we have Jason Evans in Atlanta. Hello, Jason.
3: Pretty nuts. That's a good way to describe the week in Washington. I'm glad we're not doing a political podcast. I I listen to a bunch of political podcasts. Those folks are just, they're like losing their minds. They do an emergency podcast every six hours, I think.
1: I don't think at this point anything Political would be an emergency. If we did a podcast, it'd be like fifteen hours long, and that would be about today. <laughs> uh, but we also before we before we dive into the politics of anything, uh, let me bring in Sam Klein. Sam Klein, are you back in Boston?
0: I am back home in Boston, and given one of the topics that we're going to cover today, it sort of feels like we're doing a political podcast. But oh yeah, I suppose yeah. you'll you'll hey, you'll introduce that for us, right?
3: Hey, uh, we should we we should tell everyone we are here to be non-political content. You get enough of that. We are here to be every all the other fun stuff, hopefully, versus the stuff that makes us all pull our hair out and be worried and nervous.
1: Yeah, exactly. But before we do anything, I want to quickly shout out one of our listeners, Joe Cashin, who Jason, he he was able to correct both you and I on the pro- <laughs> on the pronunciation of Bellerman. That's right. It's not Bellarmine. It's not Bellarmine. It's Bellarmine. Turns out we were both slightly off. So we just want to thank Joe for bringing us to our senses.
0: That pronunciation does track with the way that people from Louisville pronounce Louisville, which That's is just.
1: That's true. That's true. Take
0: all and the we syllables and make them half as effective as they normally are. It's <laughs> yeah, not Louisville. It's not, it's not right. Louisville. It's Louisville.
3: Louisville. Yeah, it, Co- coming, coming up, coming up in the DBR podcast, we will bring in an English professor to help us examine the names.
1: <laughs> I don't to know if Logan the English professor was going to help us there. <laughs> you guys know I do You guys know that I
0: recently moved to Boston, so I'm I'm getting used to new pronunciations of everything.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, you were also I'm, in I'm, New York I'm, City, where H O U S T O N is not Houston. It's you. It's with a Y. It's Houston. Yes. It's
0: no. no it's it's Houston. 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 It's
3: Houston. It's Houston, Houston, it's Houston oh, in New oh. York City. Yeah. If you're
0: talking about the street in New York, it's yes. If you're talking about mm-hmm. the city in Texas,
1: it's Houston. Houston. Uh, yeah. With
0: a y, Yes. Exactly. So I, okay. I have I have
1: lots of learning to do. Enough pronunciation. Let's get into some Duke basketball. Uh we're gonna go back to yesterday as, as as we're recording. Late Saturday, Duke Basketball released another quick clip from Coach K. I'm really liking that they're doing this. Uh it's just shy of two minutes long and he brought us an update on how the team is progressing with fall workouts as they prepare for the official start of practice on october 14th but he then discusses the uncertainty of the schedule and ends with a little nugget about the ability for fans to see our team during the preseason so here's a clip of coach k with his update on the team as posted on social media last night
2: we've been really pleased with uh, this group of young men you know, wow uh, you know, one, we haven't had any interruptions with uh, sickness, injury, uh, and they've really come together, even in this um, unusual, uncertain time. And uh, hard workers, enthusiastic, uh, they get along. Uh, they've been, you know, for me and our staff, they, they're a source of energy for us. And uh, so the environment Sometimes you, you, you think of a coach and his staff just uh, setting the environment, creating the environment uh, that and that's true up to a point but when the players also set the environment then it's it's really a good one because what that creates is ownership. Everyone owns the environment It's not the coach making a player do that and that's what we've seen thus far and uh, just a really good group. You know, hopefully, uh, we can figure out uh, uh, a season here and how we're going to play, when we're going to play. It's a little bit chaotic right now, uh, based on uh, what the NCAA put out, and of course in this uncertain environment. But uh, we're excited, and uh, I wish wish you, you could see us. Uh, we're going to try to do something with countdown eventually, just so you know that, and. Uh, because we're anxious to share this with all of our, our Duke fans. That's what's made this so, so much fun. So, again, you'd be proud of these guys, and hopefully you'll get a chance to see them uh, in the near future. Okay, guys.
1: What are we're going to focus on is that last part of Coach K's thing. He is trying to figure out a way to bring us Countdown to Craziness in some form. That seems exciting to me. Sam, I, what do you think? Do you think... How do you think they're going to bring Countdown to Craziness to us in a virtual way?
0: Well, if there's any social media program in college sports that is going to pull off a, a hype night that is akin to Countdown to Craziness, I'd trust it to be the folks behind Duke men's basketball social media because they are always on top of bringing us highlights. They bring us interviews. They bring all kinds of of cool content we are talking about new Duke men's basketball videos basically every week on this show. So I imagine it'll be a, a series of programming like that. And by the way, if it is not the live version of Countdown to Craziness, we won't get all of the silly stuff that that <laughs> the, the fans don't like, right? I feel like when you go in person, there's always all kinds of contests with the fans and and sponsor giveaways and all kinds of things like that that, that only sort of translate In person and really don't translate to TV all that well. So they're really going to be able to to pare it down and, and produce a lot of cool stuff. I imagine they can still do a dunk contest. Of course, they can still do a scrimmage and probably do all kinds of analysis around the scrimmage have the players mic'd up and things like that. So I think you're going to see them pull out all the stops for this sort of thing. There is nothing stopping the program from doing a, a huge blowout event for this because look have everybody they need on campus to do it they have the players they have the coaches they have a few media people that can participate in it so I'm expecting a, a major production value event from what is going to become virtual countdown to craziness
3: I, so, Sam, you hit on exactly the the point I was going to make about this. I think this is a real and opportunity. Let's move we we don't we don't
0: need to hear we don't need to hear this. <laughs> we're, 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 good. we're
3: good. No, this is a this is a great opportunity for Duke to be a little experimental. Um, I, I could envision. Uh, think about this. So I, I don't know that I don't know if they're going to you know if they'll try and stream this over ESPN Plus. If they try and put it on the ACC network or something like that, there's certainly a number of broadcast opportunities. But let's say they decided to do it like like a ticket, like a subscription thing, because revenue matters for Duke right now. If they said to everybody, "Okay, pay five bucks to watch a blue white scrimmage where one of your options is we're going to have a camera, you know, on one of the players on their uniform someplace so you can see exactly what the game looks like to DJ Stewart, for example, or something like that. I, I love your notion of miking up the players while they're on the floor because you won't have the background noise of all the fans because there won't be any fans there. So you may be able to hear things you don't ordinarily hear. Mic up Coach K, oh, not even Coach K, it's it's going to be Nate James and uh, you know a, 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 the other assistant coaches. That's where I think you could really put together something that that we have never seen before. And I am dead convinced, like Sam said, We are an innovative program in terms of using social media, in terms of using digital media. Duke is going to come up. I really think Duke is going to come up with something special that's going to be much more than just, hey, we're broadcasting or streaming the blue-white scrimmage. If it's only that, I'll be surprised because I think we're capable of much more.
0: On the topic of miking up the players in the MLB playoffs that started this past week, they're they have some of the players mic'd up during the games, and I think some viewers have found that experience to be a little awkward because, like, they're in playoff games where they're where they're playing for their whole seasons, and and apparently they can be standing on the field and and having a conversation during that. So that that's been a little clunky, but in a preseason scrimmage event like this, I mean, who cares? And and Duke I, I probably prefers it a little bit this way because there's a weird tension going on where they show things like countdown to craziness, because on the one hand, they want to get the fans excited for the season. On the other hand, they really don't want to show too much of the play calling and and the players and how they're interacting because you don't want the opposing team to see that stuff. So focus the content more on the, on the individual players and how much fun they're having and all that kind of stuff. Sort of the same way that, that the rest of that, Coach K audio was just how much the team is coming together and things like that. Look, the fans love those things. It doesn't help opposing coaches at all to know that the players are or are not feeling like, like one team at this point in the season, that's irrelevant when it comes to game planning. So I I think it's, it's great fan service for them to be able to do that.
1: Two things that I, when I, we were talking about this and, and Jason, you kind of alluded to it when you were talking and kind of when we were talking about this before we started recording, the first thing is, The premium content. This is something that Blue Devil Network should be licking their chops uh, at trying to get subscribers. We talked about revenue and things like that where, you know, again, five bucks to Blue Devil Network is something that any Duke fan would pay to see some content before the season starts. And then you also have it kind of like, you know, a a level up service where they show something on ACC Network that's just the scrimmage. And then you have Blue Devil Network where you have these things where you have the players mic'd up, where you have, you know, a coach talk before the the scrimmage starts. These little extra things that we normally like to see as fans and get that in-depth access. They would be able to control that. They'd be able to get the subscribers. uh, And really, that would really help. Hopefully, it would help them uh, at least – Build some coffers a little bit in the revenue department. The other thing that I'm thinking about is the world of like opportunity for the player intros, which is one of the favorite things about Countdown to is We get to see the personality of these guys. The production level can go off the charts. These guys could probably plan their own thing and have a little, you know, 30 second movie or whatever to introduce them to the world, introduce them to, to Duke basketball nation so I, I think when it comes to this there's a lot of possibilities and I'm excited to see what they come with it I what I don't know is I, I think they're still trying to figure out what this calendar looks like
3: coach K alluded to it he was he would he, you heard him say at the beginning of the statement mm-hmm. he's like whatever it is you know whatever schedule we put together and it was clear that he he hasn't figured it out yet no one has
1: and I think I think October 13th is going to be a make or break day as far as like whether the season will start on November 25th as they announced last month. I think that is going to be what everyone's looking forward to. And I think a lot of these dates that we've been speculating on with regards to the showcase for social justice activism, the uh, countdown of craziness, the start of the season, all this, I think once October 13th hits, we will get all of that information pretty quick. Uh, So I, I think that is the date that everyone should circle on their calendars.
3: Even though we're talking, you know, with bated breath about all the wonderful things that we think they could do that would be value add, so to speak, I will say this: we are going to be starved for information about college basketball, about college basketball teams this year, in a way we never have been. If they only show a stream of the blue-white scrimmage, we're there for it. <laughs> yeah, um, we will, I would love we to might do it live. Do, yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to see them do a lot more. I think they probably will do a lot more. There's opportunity, but at the same time. Give me something, I'm desperate, please.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's we, we're just looking we just want again, we said this last time when you showed that we did the 5v5 Duke basketball. you give it gave us a little nugget, you gave us a little taste. We want more. It, this would be more. We would appreciate this so figure out a way to make it happen. I know there's some dates we got to figure out, but if you can make it happen, we will watch it. we will we will watch anything at this point.
0: And it doesn't have to be mid-October or late o- It doesn't have to be any particular time. Just do it before the season starts. They've got another eight weeks, I think, b- before they actually yeah. tip off. So plenty of time to put together something fun. And they can be working on it throughout that whole period. Like They can film player intro bits and all that stuff throughout the rest of the fall. There, there are no rules about, about them doing this thing live.
1: If you want to do it at 8 a.m. on a Wednesday, I'm going to watch it. So it does not matter when you do it. Just tell us, just give us a little heads up. We'll be there. Okay, boys, we need to shift gears to football only because we have to talk about it. Duke football played the Virginia Tech Hokies yesterday at Wallace Wade Stadium. And in a game where I feel like they played a little bit better and showed a little bit more fight. It was also a game where the Hokies had 21 players out due to the coronavirus. I will talk about that later. Duke once again fell. The final score, 38-31. Jason, I'll start with you. Despite the loss, though, did you see in your mind some improvement from this Blue Devils team?
3: Oh, yeah. There's no question there was improvement. And, and I mean, the most obvious place was in the rushing attack. I thought uh, Mateo Durant was really good. I uh, had a couple of very, very nice runs. Deion Jackson also ran the ball pretty well. Those two guys averaged combined well over five yards per carry. You know, they ripped off several big runs and and it was the best rushing attack we've seen from Duke this year. Sadly, at the same time, Virginia Tech was running all over us to the tune of three hundred and twenty four yards rushing. But look, there it is real simple. It is really, really hard to win a game where the opposing team rushes for two hundred yards. You just ain't going to win if they rush for three hundred yards, three hundred and twenty four yards rushing for Virginia Tech. They averaged six and a half yards per carry. It, it It seemed like they were able to repeatedly rip off fairly large runs, especially Khalil Herbert, just again and again ripped off long runs against Duke. And, you know, and it wasn't just their running backs. the, the quarterback quarterback who who was Braxton uh, Burmeister, who was terrible in his accuracy, did not complete very many passes at all. When he chose to run with the ball, he was also very effective running with it. And that was the story of the game. We couldn't really stop them, especially in the second half. We couldn't stop them from running at all. And, and as a result, Virginia Tech was able to sort of comfortably keep us at arm's length. It, it was a way better effort, and I want to repeat that, a way better effort than the previous two games where Duke was, frankly, embarrassingly bad. Um, this was a Duke team. This was an effort against a Virginia Tech team, a pretty good Virginia Tech team, where Duke can win ACC games playing this, this level of football. But it, it was still frustrating. I thought Chase Bryce is still inconsistent and still has trouble overthrowing receivers. He, he just doesn't look as accurate as you'd like him to be. And the defense gave up 38 points, um, which is not a good total. And like I said, you know Virginia Tech seemed to run pretty much at will, which was frustrating for folks like me who feel like the Duke defensive line has been our strongest point so far this year. They were not our strongest point against Virginia Tech. Better, but still not a W and and not as good as, as we really need to be.
0: I think if you want to look at this as a hopeful outcome for Duke, you can note, as you did, Jason, that the parts of the team that have played poorly to this point somewhat improved. Really on offense, thing, things were working a lot better. They weren't turning the ball over. Chase Price looked, I think, a little bit more comfortable playing quarterback this week. And there were parts of the team that we know are good, like the defensive line, that did not play well. So you could put those things together and say, yeah, maybe Duke can can reel off a couple of ACC wins here and not have a you know winless season, which would be a huge bummer for this program. The other thing that I take away from this is, guys, the Blue Devils need a bye week. It is it is abundantly clear that you know between them, perhaps getting off to practice late later than, than many other ACC programs did this summer and getting fresher ACC opponents pretty much throughout the season so far to these first four weeks, then fresher than fresher than Duke is, they they just need a week off. They need time to to recoup and look back at the tape a little bit harder, understand where the deficiencies are still on offense and and figure out what, what the winning game plan looks like.
1: Yeah, I think when it comes to the bye week, you're right. They do need it. But they're still two weeks away from that. They still got Syracuse this coming weekend and then at uh, and then NC State uh, on the 17th before they get that coveted break that they should have had a couple of weeks ago. But I want to go back. I think you guys touched on the Duke part. I want to go back to Virginia Tech for a second because they had 21 players who were out yesterday and their defensive coordinator because of the coronavirus. And a week ago, it was 25 players. The week before that, they had so many positive cases that they had to postpone their game against Virginia. So if you're doing the math, they have had an outbreak on their team for basically a month. Like, what the hell is going on down in Blacksburg where a football team is having an outbreak that long? And Really, well, it's it's being, treated, it's being treated as like an injury. Like, oh yeah, this guy's out because of ankle injury. This These guys are out because of the coronavirus. Like, This seems very odd that we are still talking about. I mean, think about it. The Patriots and the Chiefs were supposed to play as we record, and that was postponed for one coronavirus test. Granted, it was Cam Newton, but it was one test, one positive test that forced them to move a game to Monday night. They are playing with almost a third of their team out. That seems very odd to me.
3: So so Donald, it should be pointed out that that does not necessarily, they were missing 21 players, Virginia Tech does. That does not necessarily mean they had 21 guys test positive for the coronavirus. That's
1: correct. Yes.
3: What what happens is, and like you saw it with the, um, with the secondary, especially for, for Virginia Tech, they were missing, I think seven guys in their secondary. Those are guys who all were playing together, practicing together, working together a lot during the week. If even one of them tests positive, uh, and it's late in the week and they go, okay, well, that guy has been, you know, working closely with these other players. All those players are then forced to sit out because they've been right. in close contact with that with that individual. Uh, and it's worth noting, you mentioned their defensive coordinator. Their secondary, their, their defensive coach that deals with the secondary was also out. I think it's pretty easy to see at least one guy in their secondary came down with it. And as a result, they had to sit a whole bunch of their secondary players, um, their defensive secondary. Uh, and the coach who'd been working with them. So you are absolutely 100% right. It is clear that there is coronavirus on the Virginia Tech football team. It's something to be very concerned about. I'm very bothered that the Duke team that has been as good as anyone in the country at controlling this was forced to play a team that is doing a very poor job at controlling this. But I don't want people to get the false impression that there are 21 guys on Virginia Tech who all tested positive this week. That's that's not exactly the case.
1: That's absolutely fair. Uh, And thank you for like kind of clarifying that. But I mean, at the same time, like like I said, we know the the protocol, if one guy gets sick, the, the quarantine happens for others or isolation, uh, whatever you want to, however you define it uh, with the other guys around them. I mean, it, it's not just, again, it's not just Geotech. Like the Patriots are taking two planes to their football game tomorrow. One with players that may have had contact with Cam Newton and one with the players that didn't. And I think that's just like, we're we're starting to treat this disease like it's an ankle injury or like it's a like it's a dislocated toe and like oh yeah he'll be out for a couple of quarters or a sprained ankle we're just gonna wrap it up and we're just gonna go with it that seems very irresponsible and I think that the the fact that Virginia Tech is continuing to have this issue where they're like oh yeah we're just gonna have you know a third of our guys out like the ACC should be really monitoring what is going on in Blacksburg. And really, they need to be more transparent. If it is one case, that's fine. If it's if it's twenty one cases, they need to be uh, about that too. But all these teams need to be way more transparent about what's going on. Because, like you said, I would hate that if they had someone on the field that that possibly was exposed, exposing our players to it, and now we have a problem. And, and through that, no fault of our own, that's the big
3: thing, right? That yeah. is the big thing to me. Uh, again, Duke has done a great job at this. It will be unfair uh and and wrong um if if a duke player was exposed from playing virginia tech that is the big problem here
1: yeah and so we'll see what happens with that they they have syracuse next week hopefully uh knock on wood that everyone uh tests negative throughout the week uh, on duke on duke's team as they get ready uh for syracuse coming up next i want to talk about basketball but i want to talk about it in Kind of hopefully a fun but still melancholy way. The five worst losses in Duke basketball history. We're going to talk about it after this brief. Okay, guys, we are back and we wanted to end with a nice lively discussion on something that brings back bad memories the worst losses in Duke basketball history. Luckily, the way I think about it, we probably don't have to think long and hard about the five worst in our mind because they stick out like a sore thumb because of the fact we've been so successful over the past 40 years. So gentlemen, this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. We, we before listed our five worst losses in Duke basketball history from five to one. And when we list our number one, I want you to give us a story on why that particular loss looms as the absolute worst in your mind. So Sam, I'm going to go to you first, so you can tell the world what your five worst losses are.
0: So, starting with my fifth worst loss of of my time as a Duke fan, and keep in mind, I know I mentioned how old we are and our and the timing of our Duke fandoms often on this show, but just to remind, I'd say that the season that I like the earliest season that I remember start to finish that, that is the earliest season is 2001 the, the year that Duke won the national championship with Jay Williams and Shane Battier and the rest of those guys that, that, like, I remember watching Duke in, in 99 and 2000, but my, my memories are not like super clear of those. So like the, the 99 loss in the championship, which maybe one of you is going to mention doesn't, doesn't loom as, as poorly for me. So I will start then with one that was really devastating to me. There, there was I, I'll give special mention to the 2013 team that lost to Louisville. I thought that team had an incredible shot to to win the national championship, and I also will give special mention to one that I am sure Donald will talk about more, which is the 2004 loss to UConn. But I want to start with 2006, the Sweet 16 loss to LSU, a team that featured seniors JJ Redick and Sheldon Williams among a number of other very talented players, a team that was ranked number one for a good part of the year, and that. I mean, I thought was was final four bound and, and got upset in the sweet sixteen. So that's my that's my number five pick. Coming in behind them, the two thousand twelve tournament loss to Lehigh, the first time uh well, not the first time Duke had lost in the first round in a in a long time, because I'm about to mention two thousand seven game against VCU, but the two thousand twelve Lehigh game I think was a was a reset for Duke fans that had been kind of riding a little too high the last few years 2010 they had won the championship 2011 which I will mention at the top of my list I'll tease you that 2011 I I think Duke was getting into the driver's seat and and coach K was about to turn on the the recruiting uh you know starting with Kyrie Irving but 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 getting into the one and done thing and and having fans really embrace that 2012 was a real comeback to reality and the the first round loss to Lehigh I think really really Force Duke fans to to reset their expectations. Now I'll go back and tell you that 2007, the loss against VCU, the the year where Duke was merely a six seed in the tournament, it's Duke's worst seeding in in a I think in the Coach K era or, or going back to the early 80s. You know, other than the the 1995 year where Duke missed the tournament entirely, I think it's Duke's worst seed in in basically Coach K's entire tenure, but but still really devastating for me personally, because that was my senior year of high school. I was committed to go to Duke. And I, as I've talked about many times, I, I went to high school with a lot of people who are University of Maryland fans. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to Duke. I'm so excited. And I, I didn't live that that loss down for, for probably a month after that, the VCU loss. The second worst loss in my time as a Duke fan, I'm going to talk about 2008. It was a home game against UNC. It was the first Duke loss that I experienced as a student in Cameron, and to that point, the Blue Devils, I, the 2018 was not by any means like one of the most special Duke teams of all time or anything. I think they had a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament, so they were very good, but not not one of the teams that that we we're always talking about. Kyle Singler and Nolan Smith were were freshmen on that team. Demarcus Nelson was a senior. John Shire, Greg Paulus were were featured players on that team, and that loss to UNC was a real was a real comeback for me. Because it was the first time I got to see those UNC teams that, that featured like Tyler Hansborough and, and Ty Lawson, that whole group, that was the first time I saw them in person. And I was like, woof, Duke is, Duke is not on those guys' level. Uh, I think Duke fans will all, will all very clearly remember some of those games. And it was especially tough because Duke had beaten UNC that year in Chapel Hill in, in, a, in a huge upset. And so I thought like, oh, things are really coming together for Duke. Nope, not the case. We, we lost to UNC in the at the end of that season and then went on to um, lose in the second round of the tournament. So that was kind of a tough year for me because it was my freshman year. And then going to the most personal one, 2011, my senior year of college when Duke lost to Arizona in the tournament. It was my last, and I'll, I'll talk about this one, I guess, more in depth because that's, that's what we're doing here. I definitely remember where I was because for that to 2010 and 2011 seasons, I had a small group of friends that I basically watched every game with. If the game was at home, we went to the game together. If the game was on the road, we we watched it together in, in dorm rooms in Few Quad, which is where my fraternity was living at the time. And I remember going over to watch that Sweet 16 game where I thought Duke is going to roll over Arizona. Kyrie Irving was was back he was clicking with the team he he was he was sort of standing next to Nolan Smith who was on his way to winning ACC player of the year I and mean, that that Duke team seemed like they were they were poised to make a deep run in the tournament and then freaking Derek Williams just goes off in that game making three pointers like he never has in his life at the end of the season Kyrie Irving gets picked first in the draft and and Derrick Williams goes second and everyone's saying oh Derek Williams is going to end up being you know look at how well he played against Kyrie and in, in in the tournament, he's going to be even better than Kyrie Irving. Not so. that The Duke curse came for, for Derek Williams in an incredibly humbling way, and he really did not have an NBA career. Kyrie Irving, meanwhile, has gone on to be an all-star and win an NBA championship. But the pieces didn't quite fit together for Duke in 2011, and I really remember it, I guess, poorly for myself because I, I was watching with, with the same crew that I watched all the games with, but, and then all of a sudden it was like my, my college career as a basketball fan, I suppose was over, and and I remember going back to my off-campus apartment. I, I was despondent. I, I did not want to talk to anybody that night. It was that was that that's the one that emotionally hit me the worst as a Duke fan.
1: So, Can Jason. We,
0: by the way, by the way, I hate that we're doing this, but yeah, this... maybe it's maybe it's important. <laughs> but you know what you
1: you some of those I'm going to talk about as well. I'm sure Jason has a couple on his list. So, Jason, I'm going to go to you. It's time for you to be melancholy and give us your five worst.
3: Okay. So, I, I will I will note that mine come a little later in the tournament than some of the ones Sam mentioned because later in the tournament it hurts more. It feels like the brass ring is right there. You can almost touch it and then to have it snatched away, you know, unfairly. Those those are the ones that really sting to me. Uh, and most of these are games I was sure we were going to win. That's when it really hurts. When you know that things are going to be fine and then suddenly they aren't. So my number five is very recent. 2019, Michigan State. Uh, I thought Zion Williams was unstoppable. No way that team was not winning a title. And, and that really stung. Uh, my number four, the 2004, Game, uh, we were absolutely robbed of a title by the by the officials, by the referees, uh, who fouled out everyone over the height of six six on the Duke team, and Emeka Okafor apparently could have thrown a elbow from the top uh, top turnbuckle, and they would have said no harm, no foul. Number three on my list, nineteen ninety eight Kentucky. Think about that team. We had come all the way back from when Coach K hurt his back. From I, I mean, the guys on that team, the core of that team in nineteen ninety eight was was guys who had lived through the really, really difficult time that Duke had in the in the middle of the 90s. and they'd come all the way back. and here we were in a final eight, and we were up. I don't even want to talk about how big the lead was. It was a huge lead. Kentucky was done. there was we were a team of destiny, and then the wheels came off. And that was Wojo's senior year too. That one really stung. And then the very next year, this is my number two. The 1999 UConn loss in the national championship game, Um, not only were we clearly the best team in the country, that team was going to go down as one of the great teams of all time. History books, uh, you know, we were still going to be talking today about the 1999 team as one of the, I don't know, three to five best teams in the history of college basketball. Um, But they... They lost that one game. And that was a game where god throughout the whole thing, UConn, it was all close. UConn had to lead and stuff like that. But I still I always felt like Duke was gonna win the game right up until the very last play when Trajan missed the shot. Anyway, I don't want to
0: get into it. Jason, can can I interrupt and guess what your worst loss is? You don't have
3: to guess. You already know it. Go ahead. What do you think it is?
0: 1986, the national championship game. Why
3: would yes. that be? Why would that yeah, be? I, Why would that be? Sam, right. And Sam started out talking about, oh Here's my history. Here's here's the first year that I recall every single game. 1986, of course, is my freshman year at Duke. And while I had followed Duke basketball growing up, that's the year where I begin as a truly passionate, you know, Duke fan who can tell you about everything that happened in every single game. So, in my very first year, we make it to the final to the ch- national championship. It is. One of the great teams of all time, you know, I talked about that 99 team, the 86 team is the same way they won 37 games. For my freshman year, we make the championship. And my uncle, by the way, called me before that game. And he said, cherish this, because making a Final Four, even if you're a great team and a great coach, it's so rare, it's so unusual. He said to have it happen while you're in school. He said, "This is never going to happen again." While you're in school, he was wrong. It happened three out of my four years. But anyway, (laughs) at the time, it was you know it had been hyped up for me so much. I I was on the quad. They rented a huge screen on main main quad, uh, you know, on West Campus. Everyone was there watching it together. I know now they sort of they do it in Cameron, but back then we did it on the quad. And and I I don't know, it was like a forty foot screen. It was amazing. We're all there. We're incredibly drunk. I mean, I'm not saying anything surprising to say that the drinking age, by the way, was 18 back then. So it was legal. I was with my best friends who I had only, we'd only known each other for eight months at that point, but we, not even eight months, I guess, but we were absolute, the best friends forever. These are still the guys. I talk to them all the time. Best friends for life. That's, that's what you make your freshman year. The guys who live on, on your floor of your dorm freshman year. And we sat and we watched Johnny Dawkins and Mark Allery and David Henderson and David Henderson and Jay Billis and Danny Ferry and Quinn Snyder. I can go on and on. I can name every guy on that team, of course. We watched them come oh so close before Purvis Ellison put back an airball rebound to win the game. I will will never, I can tell you for sure, I will never experience that much pain of a loss uh, for any sporting team in my life. And after the game ended, me and my buddies... All found ourselves, you know, we're wandering around in a haze and we found ourselves in front of Cameron Indoor Stadium, didn't know what to do. And one of the guys looked down, there was a piece of gum on the floor, Uh, not on the floor, but on the pavement outside Cameron. Someone had stepped on this piece of gum. It had probably been there for three months. And he said, that piece of gum is Louisville. And we each took turns spitting on the piece of gum. That's a painful loss.
0: (laughs) Did that make you feel better? (laughs)
3: So nothing, nothing will make you feel better at a time like that, but it felt right. Gave you a distraction. In those moments, moments you're looking for something to feel right. I'm just glad none of us puked on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, true. You guys have done a few of the ones that are on my list, but I'll go through it step by step. Uh, My number five. 2011 Sweet 16 versus Arizona. Uh, as you both can see, the fans out there cannot see, but both you can see my 2010, 2011 poster that is above my head. Uh, that is one of two posters on my wall. And those are from the two teams that I thought had, at least until recently, I thought were the best teams that I saw that did not win a national championship. That game really pissed me off uh, because we should have won that game and stupid, stupid, uh, stupid Derek Williams decided that he was going to become a monstar and win the game for him. I still don't like that man to this day. We will go on to number four, the Elite Eight versus uh, Michigan State in 2019. Really, that was because I was at the game. That's one that always hurts to be at the game and watch, and watch your team, your season end. But damn, that team deserved it. They really did. They, the team deserved to win a national championship, and it sucks that they didn't get a chance to do so uh, with Zion and, and Cam and, and Trey and, and uh, RJ Barrett, all those guys. They all deserved to win that national championship that year, and uh, it really sucks that they came up that short, just short. Uh, so that one will always be a pretty big sting. Number three for me is not a tournament game. It is uh, 2001 at home against UNC and the reason for that is that was my first my freshman year we obviously won the national championship so it's it's still you know that year was great but that particular game was so just so infuriating because we didn't win we didn't lose because we didn't play well we didn't lose because it was the last second three we lost because Brendan Haywood made two free throws. A man who had to that point in the season made two consecutive free throws. He was a 48% free throw shooter, and he made two free throws to win the game.
3: With the best Shane Battier still talks to this day. I happen to know this. Uh-huh. Shane Battier still talks to this day about how badly he screwed up fouling Brendan Haywood on that play.
1: It, it was a it was a hustle play, and he was like, "Oh, this!" Like literally, we're all like, "Cool, this is going to overtime." There's no way he's making free throws. He makes two free throws. They win the game. That still makes me mad. Not as you know, not as mad as others because we won the national championship. But I move on. Number two, the other poster on my wall: 2002 Sweet 16 versus Indiana. Boozer was fouled. First of all, Jay will, will probably I, should have made the free I'll... throw, but Boozer was fouled.
3: <laughs> Donald, really quick, I will tell you that when I was making up my top five, I was like, where am I putting 2002 Indiana? Mm-hmm. And and I finished my top five, and I went, wait a second, how did I leave that out? So that's number six for me, so good call. Yeah,
1: it's it's that was, again, right after 2001, we, that team I thought was the best team that I had seen in college. And really, that team should have won one, and we fell in the Sweet 16 to Indiana, who ended up going to the title game and losing to Maryland. Uh, so yeah, that, that team really, like, I look at that game. I was watching with my friends, my, you know, freshman year friends in our dorm room and just literally stunned at like, what, like, what do we do now? Because honestly, to that point, we, we won a national championship for our freshman year and this was our sophomore year. So we're like, what happens when the season ends and we don't win the national championship? It was literally like the next day, everyone was just like straight up in, in a blur. And number one for me, Sam put it in his list. I have it at the top of mine, 2004, Final Four versus UConn.
3: It was in my list too. My list too. It was yeah. on your
1: list as well. Uh, but mine is number one for this reason. It is the final game of my college career. I was at the game. I was the first person, not student, not fan, first, stu- first person to get tickets to the game. We were in row one, seat one of the student section. Me and my boy went down. We spent... Stupid amount of money to go to San Antonio. We went to the practice. We went we, the open practice that they usually have. We go out, we get our tickets. We are hyped. We are stoked. We go and I will do the prelude before the game. Before the game, it was Oklahoma State versus Georgia Tech. That was the first semifinal. We were the second one. We were basically like kind of cheering for Georgia Tech the whole time because we wanted to see them again because. Luke Shinsher and those guys had beaten us. Jared Jack had beaten us on our senior night in Cameron. So we wanted to get him again. even though Ismail we.
3: Muhammad. Ismail Muhammad. Ismail Muhammad. Even
1: though we got them back in the ACC tournament, we wanted to get him in the. Would it count it?
3: Yeah, but Donald, so, Donald, the thing about that game was you knew the winner of Duke UConn was beating the winner of Oklahoma State, George. Right. Tech. That right. was one of the most imbalanced Final Fours you'll ever see. Two great teams and two eh teams.
1: Yeah. So of course. They make the they make their shot to win the game, Georgia Tech, and we're chanting ACC ACC like yeah, good job, Georgia Tech fans. We're high fiving them, and then our team comes out on the floor, and every single Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket that was in that building turned around and started booing us. And I was like, okay, Georgia Tech, you are now on my list forever. I don't ever root for them. But I, the ACC pride that you know that some people feel that went out the window for me at about eight oh one local time on that day. So. We go through the game and literally this whole time, I'm like, they keep filing everybody out. Emeka Okafer is not this big. He's not that, but he's not this great. But somehow they keep giving him calls and getting everybody filed out. And when Jay will, or I'm sorry, when JJ goes up for the layup and he gets filed and they don't call it, I, I literally, my head split in three. Like one, one, one third of my head was yelling at this ref. One third of my head was yelling at the second ref on the far end. And one third of my head was yelling at the third ref that was closest to me. And I, as you guys know, I yell really loud. So I was going absolutely apoplectic. So finally at the end, first of all, that that game is noted for Chris Duhan making the three at the very end the like half court shot that changed a hundred million dollars in Vegas. Uh, because the line was one and a half and he made it one. Uh so but when that happened I started crying. It's the first time I had really physically like cried at a at a sporting event because I knew that my college career was done and that was the last game I would see as a student. My friends who were with me met them the first day of Duke were sitting next to me. We're all crying together. I still remember just sitting there i was me and my friend who came with me we sat in the alamo dome for two hours after that game was over did not move did not move from our seat we were just like just staring off in the space finally this guy comes down and he's like can i buy your tickets and i go i turn to my friend like i don't even want to be here for the game on monday because they at this back then they gave you tickets to both it didn't matter if you won or lost it, you got tickets to both games. So we sold them our, we sold them our tickets for the cost of what we paid for everything to get to San Antonio. We left, we watched the championship game from an Applebee's on the outskirts of town to this day. I have never seen a replay or a highlight from that game to this day. I have never been back to San Antonio. That's how much that game rocked my core. And that, that game I'm, I'm even surprised that I've gone this long without crying about that game. Because that game is the worst game that I have ever been a part of. And I never want to have anyone experience the pain that I felt that night again.
3: So I, I, will, I will admit that this, the, the idea of your five worst losses was my idea. To Why'd extent, you do I'm, this, Jason? Yeah, you do this? Extent, I'm, I'm sorry. You know we had a trying uh, week
1: here in D.C. What's wrong? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, yeah. I, so I apologize. But on the other hand, there's something cathartic about it. And, and I think it's good to share. And speaking of sharing, we should get everybody out there. Send us your list of the five worst losses and and highlight for us what it was about the number one loss that really sticks with you, you know, what you remember about it. Send it to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And maybe on a future episode, we'll be able to read a couple of those. Um, but guys, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> and be grateful. Be grateful, by the way, that we're Duke fans and we have the high highs to, to go along with the low lows. I remember the, the summer after I graduated from Duke, I went like start my first real job. And one of the coworkers that I met in my first couple of weeks, the guy who had graduated from Butler, like two years before that. And so he was like, you went to Duke. You are the, uh, you are the source of my, of my greatest sports disappointment. Like I will never have a moment where I think, that Mike is going to pull off the greatest upset of all time, the way that I had in 2010 when I thought Butler was going to beat Duke. So like, I can't even talk to you about college basketball. And I was like, (laughs) I, I I have nothing. I have nothing to say to that.
1: So I will say, uh, I will say,
0: be grateful for all that we
1: have. (laughs) I will say we, I feel like we are a balanced podcast. So on a future podcast, we will do the best five best Duke victories. We'll do that instead of the five worst Duke losses, because that seemed, little, little downer to end this, this segment or in this podcast. And because this episode was so down, we want to end on a happy note. So Jason has some emails, or I guess some, some words of encouragement that were sent uh, to us from some of our listeners. So Jason, why don't you give us something upbeat to end on?
3: Definitely. Definitely. So first of all, I want to shout out to Lindsay Weldon. Lindsay sent us an email and she said that uh, she wanted to share with us that her birthday gift, her brother had given her, a video of Trey Jones wishing her a happy birthday and cameo and this video. Yeah. Cameo, right. You can, you can get Trey to record a message for you on cameo and in it, Trey talks about the fact that Lindsay thinks that Trey's shot versus UNC was better than Christian Leitner's shot against Kentucky. And Trey says, Hey, Lindsay, happy birthday. Leitner's shot was better than mine, <laughs> but I just wanted to, it was, it's a great little video and I want to thank Lindsay for sharing that with us. Uh, like I said earlier, you can always reach out to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Um, feel free to send us Jason, your funky Jason birthday also, stuff. Yeah.
0: Jason also responded to Lindsay and said that he agreed with Trey Jones, but I think that's just because Jason is biased by having been at the Leitner game and not being at the Trey Jones game. This so I'm going to submit that I'm going to submit that he's jealous that I was at the game when that shot.
1: So I'm with Lindsay on this one. To be fair, Lindsay didn't care. She still thinks that Trey's shot. Even if Trey doesn't think it's the best shot, she still thinks this. So Trey, you have a, a, a real fan. You have a real one in Lindsay.
3: And then the other thing I wanted to shout out, I mentioned this last time folks go to wherever it is you get your podcast, iTunes, or whatever else it may be, and leave us a review. We love getting reviews. And every so often, I'm going to pick out a really great review that someone has left, and I'll read it so that you all can hear what some nice person has said about us. And this time, it is Matt Miner's review. Matt left a review fairly recently. He said he is a longtime subscriber and listener, a huge fan of the DBR. He said, though we are all mourning the 2019-20 season, and very concerned about how and when basketball returns, Sam, Jason, and Donald have again done a great job of keeping the content tapped flowing in the great COVID sports drought of 2020. Thanks, guys. And he signs it. He is Matt Minor, Fuqua09. So Matt, thanks for that delightful review. Anyone else out there, leave us a review, and we will uh, shout it out here on the podcast. We love to hear from all of you.
0: And just because we, I feel like we we can reciprocate this one. Matt Miner is a, I know him personally and he's a wonderful dude and he has a podcast that's called life meets money. And if you, so if you want to listen to audio content, great audio content about managing your personal finances, check out Matt Miner's podcast because it's very good. And he interviews a lot of people that are affiliated with Fuqua who I happen to know and really love.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you, Joe, for uh, all your uh, all your contributions to making us feel nice and all warm and fuzzy inside, and if you want to do the same, again, leave a good review, leave us a nice email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give us keep that content tap flowing, as Matt says, uh, that will also be great. You can also check us out in the forums, but that will do it for episode two thirty seven of the duke basketball report podcast we greatly appreciate you tuning in until next time for sam klein and jason evans i'm donald wine and now it is time for the duke band to take us home